0: Welcome or welcome back to Lift You Up, Inspiring Health Stories. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham. I'm the founder and chief storyteller of TB Media Group. But for the purpose of this podcast, I am your health and happiness matchmaker. Now, before I introduce you to today's guest, you know what I'm going to ask you to do? Hit subscribe on YouTube turn on those notifications and connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to stay connected with you. Now, I'm so excited for today's guest. Her name is Asha Walker. She is smart, she is a go-getter, and she is giving back to our community while running the nonprofit Health in the Hood, and what she says is, hey, food justice is social justice. <laughs> Our physical, mental, and emotional health is not just a want. It is a need for happy lives and prosperous businesses. Lift You Up is the podcast where we share inspiring health stories from business owners who are fulfilling their purpose to live their healthiest lives and helping you do the same. From former TV reporter to marketing entrepreneur and content creator, I care about sharing stories that matter and stories that connect us. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham, your health and wellness matchmaker. Well, today I'm so excited to be joined and be meeting for the first time, Asha Walker, who is the CEO and founder of Health in the Hood. Hi, Asha. Hi. So awesome to be here. Thank you for having me. No, thank you for being here. You look amazing and I'm I'm feeling all like the wellness vibes coming from your side of the the screen right now. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. It must be that must be the coconut water. That's like the magic <laughs> elixir. Totally The, the coconut the water. The calming colors behind you and that you're wearing and the plant there. Oh, I'm super excited to meet you i think i don't know i think i must have started following you i'm into health and wellness and just learning more and trying to connect with others in south florida and i came across your page on instagram and i revisited it recently so i'm glad we get to meet and i get to learn more about you so tell me more about you before we dive into health in the hood i want to hear your story and how you got to where you are today well i am a miami girl Born and raised in the county of Day. That's what
1: I always start with. That's a big part of who I am. It's in my DNA at 305 for sure. Um, my far background is in theater. I was a, a theater major um, in high school and college. So, like, an extroverted introvert in some ways.
0: Okay, and wait, what
1: college? I'm a Florida FIU Panther, Golden Panthers, okay. <laughs> Florida National University.
0: You nice. know, Miami was a
1: hard place to leave. I was like, well, there's the beach over there. I could go. Sit a dorm room over there so 100 got my education here at home did new york for a year that was a little too cold Got my butt back <laughs> to the Andy and put my flip boss back on um but grateful for that experience and then i i come from from some really incredible people i come from educators and historians um so i come by my path of service pretty honestly um, and I can't take any credit for the idea of being an urban farmer. I, I found the nonprofit world right out of college. It was my next passion after theater. I just kind of was able to stumble into something else that I really cared about. Um, I worked for a national nonprofit called Public Allies, and we would match young, service-minded people with nonprofits for 10-month apprenticeships, and we had leadership training, and retreats, and. So I really got comfortable kind of engaging communities and working with um, lots of different people and building diverse community engagement strategies, grant writing. So I did that for almost 10 years um, and then decided it was time to kind of build that out on my own and, and, and build out a model that, was, that I was really passionate about. Um, and that was health, wellness, and growing your own food. Again, can't take credit from the idea. My dad is the OG. He is a historian, <laughs> a former professor at FIU, head of the psychology department and also the original gardener. He started urban farms in the Overtown area. When I was a kid, I did my bat mitzvah community service project in an urban farm. So I always knew that you could convert, vacant land. You could apply for city grants or apply for funding and you could really make a difference in the community. So that was where health in the hood was really born. And that's where we can sort of came to where we are now, having founded the organization eight years ago. Um, when I stop sometimes I don't do it enough and reflect on how much we've grown. It's, it's pretty exciting. So I'm really pumped to share a little more about that. Um, but, uh, but yes, my background is, is grant writing, community engagement, and uh, combine that with my passion for health and wellness, and Health in the Hood was born. I'm so excited.
0: Okay, a lot of questions here, but just to make sure we're on the same page, OG means original gardener.
1: Oh, original gardener, <laughs> and and my dad's pretty gangster too. So he's he's, he's an educational gangster and the original gardener. All all definitions fit him. I His name it. is Dr. Marvin Dunn. He's a Florida a Florida historian and professor of Black history. Um, he's told stories of Black history that are oftentimes not told. So
0: mm, love that powerful, powerful guy. So where did the health and wellness passion come in? was that something you were always interested in or was that something you kind of evolved into finding interest in later on?
1: Well, um, that would be where my mom comes in. She uh, was an educator, uh, but was always into health and fitness. Jane Fonda was big in our house. When I My earliest memories mm-hmm. are of being in the kiddie room of the gym, watching her through the glass while she was jumping around doing <laughs> Jane Fonda aerobics. So again, I, I come by it naturally. We, health and wellness is always part of my... Um, DNA growing up, it was always part of a priority for our family, as well as serving others. So they both really were part of my natural natural path for sure.
0: Awesome. So okay, so you were working in non in the nonprofit space for ten years before you said, "Hey, I want to go ahead and do this on my own." Which, mm-hmm. you know, I've I've spoken to a couple other nonprofit founders CEOs who, you know have a passion for what they're doing but then once they dive into it they're like whoa I have to have a board (laughs) I have to like have all of these things that I didn't consider and it is a huge undertaking did you know all that was involved when you were diving into it because you came from that space yeah, I mean, I definitely
1: had my footing about me. It's such a great question. Um, I definitely had my footing about me from my, my just background and experience of working in the community and running uh, you know, federal programs. You definitely had to be able to manage a budget, do a grant report, um, have a board to answer to. So all of those kind of infrastructure things were part of, of my toolkit. Um, but of course, there are challenges along the way that you just can't possibly predict when you are starting a nonprofit, any business, any adventure. I think it's really a, a mindset that you dive into that you adopt that um, allows you to be nimble and bounce with challenges and, you know, figure it out as you, as you go, all of the sort of background paperwork and getting your 501c3 had not done that before, but fully really was able to figure out, and navigate it, be being persistent. Um, but yeah, so a lot of those skills i developed and uh, I've said the other half are just knowing that this is my path and that whatever obstacles got in the way, we just had to figure them out.
0: Absolutely. So... Okay, so you said the idea for this nonprofit for Health in the Hood came from BOG, the, the original gardener, your dad. Um tell me about that. Was there a conversation that you had with him? How did you know this was the direction you were going to go?
1: Well, um I, I feel like most decisions I've been very I must be very in touch with my spirit, guide because almost every decision, every big life decision I've ever had to make. It's come pretty naturally to me. My instincts have told me what to do, um, not have to do a ton of soul searching to think, see if it was my right path. Um, so it really came by it naturally. It kind of just, it, it came to me. A health, the idea came to me, well, I shouldn't say that. The idea really grew out of a disparity that was just too hard to ignore. I was working at a non profit I would go to my you know fancy gym after work that I really was so proud to be able to, to have and to do, to have that space for myself. Then I would drive home through overtown and it would be such a disparity from well, why do i get to do that and and these moms don't have that outlet and so it, it, it really was born from that seeing that disparity and working in communities from really knowing what gaps were really missing having the background knowing i had the community support and the family support and experience to kind of pull all of those together
0: got it so you identified that disparity um, talk to me more about that because this mm-hmm. is the premise i guess under which Health in the Hood was born. So tell me more about who you serve and what you do.
1: Vacant land is totally uh, uh, available in highly abundant quantities in low-income, disconnected, disadvantaged communities. That's a a given. Um, They are breeding grounds for trash, crime, drug use. They're an eyesore. um, And they just really deplete the value of, of a community. But if you look at them rather though as an asset, as opposed to a deficit, comes from my public allies days of taking an asset-based approach to community development, um, they can really be a beautiful thing. And so I was driven to try to replicate my dad's model and build out his model, it was called Roots in the City, um, and develop a model where we were bringing sustainable urban farming opportunities to people in their backyards. So what does that look like? We get land donated in food desert neighborhoods if you're in a food desert, it means that you are more than a mile away from a grocery store. So a lot of times people think of poverty as just not having access to any food, but there is a huge subset of people who are food insecure, uh, 1.5 million of them in South Florida right now with COVID. Um, and being food insecure means you have a lack of access to nutritious food. So you can go to the mom and pop store, you can go to the gas station, you can go to the grocery stores that are available in your neighborhood, but you're going to get Chef D, you're going to get mail, you're going to get Spam a lot of sugary drinks, a lot of sodium, a lot of preservatives. Um, and then we know that there, there's no mystery now that those kinds of foods are directly related to diet-related diseases that are plaguing low-income communities. It's systemic. Food justice is social justice. Um, and so those are the kind of disparities that that um, got me fired up and and maybe want to take my background into play um, and use my skill sets that I had in my toolbox to to start to tackle this thing. So our model looks the same, but different from community to community. We convert vacant land, Uh, in a food desert into a vibrant vegetable garden so instead of having mattresses growing we are growing collard greens and tomatoes and kale and cucumbers and pretty much anything you want because in South Florida we can grow year-round it's really a phenomenal place to get to garden Um, we are hiring residents from the neighborhood to maintain the farms a lot of times people say well that's nice community gardens happen but how do you take care of them how, You know then they just they kind of they die out well that
0: was my next question have to make it
1: sustainable and right so we're hiring residents in the neighborhood to care for them we use them as living classrooms we have health education workshops pre-covid um so really trying to make an all-encompassing um wellness experience that makes healthy eating easy um healthy habits easily adoptable We have a really high impact high energy um Uh, health education curriculum that really is uh, interactive. So healthy eating competitions and just ways to really keep people involved in that whole process um, is the base of our our model.
0: So residents in the communities where these gardens are are hired to maintain them. And then Mm -hmm. how does it work once you know there are vegetables that are grown how are those available to that community how does Mm -hmm, that work
1: mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: so uh yes
1: my husband says we are he's from the corporate world he says we are sometimes too non profity for our own good but (laughs) to me we are growing a sustainable resource and the model has served us well in three years uh everything we grow is distributed for free in our gardens that's where our garden managers the residents in the community that we hire are so crucial they are the absolute heart and soul heartbeats of our farms um, so not only are they maintaining the farms and keeping everything down to flow and growing they also become responsible for harvesting and it really becomes an organic community experience. So all of our farms um, from the time we've installed them to now in eight years are all still thriving and growing. Um, and so over the years it really become a staple in the community people know all oh, the radishes are ready. It's mid February. So we're going to come out and bring our small baskets for that or green beans are ready to go or collard greens are always ready by November December and grow through the end of March. So People have kind of they know when things are ready. People learn how to harvest because they worked with the garden managers. Um, so it really is a roots up effort, and mm-hmm. um, it's it's all, it's everyone in the community coming together um, to support the farms and to use the farms. Uh, but yeah, everything is distributed for free in uh, in all the Health and Health Gardens.
0: That's beautiful. I'm going to come back to that in a moment, but I want to know how many farms you have. There are we have we have eight farms. Eight. Really, I should say nine because our
1: largest property, um, we started working on right before COVID and had to pause that and we're now very excited that we are revamping our largest um, build out. So we've got a new site that uh, is in Little Haiti that's our our largest property so far. Um, So nine farms in total. And where are some of those located? So they're all in food desert neighborhoods, Overtown, Liberty City, Miami Gardens, Opalaka, Little Haiti pine wood um, all neighborhoods that are disconnected from large grocery stores and not able to access fresh food in their neighborhoods
0: yeah and i'm, I'm familiar with this because i worked for the city of miramar for a period of time and i was involved in a, in a grant um that spoke exactly about this and the food deserts in that community and the miramar community garden that was formed um because of that to serve that need um so i'm i'm super excited to hear that there's more of these throughout South Florida. Um, Going back to what you said, food justice is social justice. Explain what that means for those who may hear that and don't understand what that means.
1: I think, so for me, it's just a term that I um, I think is really important. We've made lots, we we actually have made our own memes about it on our social media. We're trying to make it one of our taglines. I think that people separate them um and social justice means uh something to some people and we oftentimes separate that food justice is absolutely part of social justice and it's one of the social determinants access to food access to healthy food that allow us to have happy sustainable long lives and so it is at the basis and um you know food is the great equalizer if everyone has access to the same types of food it would be a very different world and so i think that we separate those two entities. And so for us, we're trying to weave that circle back together. This is systemic. This is not a problem over here. That's not a problem over here. They are all tied in And until we shift our mindset, shift the narrative um, and really start thinking about this from a hundred thousand foot level. Um, that's how we're going to really make the change and move the needle.
0: Right, because let's be honest, a lot of people um, may not realize that not everyone has access to the same types of foods.
1: A lot of people don't, and that's okay. But that's yeah. why this is such an important space um, to share, because I, most times I, when I do a talk, I'll ask. We're not virtual. When we were in person, I would ask people to raise their hand if they'd ever heard of a food desert. And you get, like, a few, depending on the crowd, but so often people have never even heard of it. So it's, it's a really important story to tell. Why do you think that is,
0: that people haven't heard of
1: it? a really good question i think you know i, I the sun sentinel deem the population of people in food deserts as the hidden hungry i think that's a, a really powerful term because it's 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 just that these people are right under our noses it's it's you know and this disconnect between going to the grocery. i did a tedx talk and one of the first things i talked about was how i go to the grocery store on a sunday plan my pinterest meals go to the grocery store grab my greens hop in my car and head on home and how many of us do that and don't give it a second thought uh, until you think about those barriers that are not barriers to you. Your car, your finances, your knowledge, information. Do you even know that what to turn your can of chef where a D over and see what's in it and Google the ingredients? And so those are some of the fundamental pieces that are that are that are missing from the puzzle that we have found over the years.
0: I mean, this is amazing work that you're doing. Um, and that these vegetables are available and distributed for free to the communities that they are in, which is wonderful. But how do you make money? How do we sustain it? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. So that's a
0: great question. I get asked all the time. So you, you run a nonprofit, do
1: you get paid? That's like the best question ever. I'm like, yes, I get paid. My board approves my salary and I get paid. My time is very valuable. Uh, but no, yes, it's, it's uh, a balance. So my background really is in grant writing. Um, so we're about 50% funded by grants, local, national. Um, and a lot of those grants have repeated over the years. Uh, some corporate sponsors we have as well. And then we also have incredible individual donors and supporters and the network of supporters, large and small, um, who are the other way how we're able to survive. Now, as we expand, we are looking into a model, which has always been our 360 plan. We grow, we grow sustainable crops. Um, but now that we've got access to these larger pieces of land, how do we turn this model from what we call our pocket gardens into local sustainable food ecosystems? Because we've got all those pieces in place, It's just that last click, um, which is why our largest property is such a kind of a game changer for us, that this garden is to be um, our first food production garden that's going to support local farmers markets, where we're going to be training. It's called our garden to grocer program, where we're going to be training, training residents on the ground uh from the neighborhoods to harvest the food to transport the food to bag the food take it to farmers markets just really close that gap where we've been serving communities for eight years and that's been phenomenal but how do we now have this be a sustainable model where people you know we've been teaching kids for years this is your arugula you planted this arugula this is about 17 dollars worth of arugula right here you see in front of you you can be a farmer you can grow microgreens we've been schooling that message for years so now how do we really take that into its into its real life iteration um and so that's so, our garden to grocer program.
0: So just that so that I'm clear, what does that look like? What are the next six months, twelve months as you are kind of planning this um, mm-hmm. you know, larger ecosystem that you mentioned? Mm-hmm. Well, so I'm supposed we'll to talk about it as well, but COVID really shifted our whole I
1: shouldn't even say shifted, it, it some, some people pivoted, some people shifted, we just expanded. We were already in the food insecurity space, so we just started doing a lot more programming. We're feeding a thousand people a week through our food distribution channels aside from the gardens. Um, So we're expanding our team. That's what the first thing it looks like. So it's very exciting. We just brought on a new garden director. All of our staff is being promoted into new positions so that everyone is able to, to keep growing and we're hiring new staff to support our food distribution expansion. So as we grow, we're really able to stretch our legs in all those directions and get our roots deeper in the community in all those directions. So now that we've got an expanded team, we're able to have the capacity to actually move into this model um, where we're we're closing that gap. It's that last piece where our farms are, you know, it's very organic. People come from the neighborhood, they pick up their tomatoes, their mustard greens, they cook what they're going to have for dinner, and that's fantastic. But how do we really capitalize on what we're doing even more marketably so that people have sustainable jobs in their neighborhoods from a a crop a product that they are producing um, and that we're really making ourselves obsolete we come in we build it we teach it and then we move on to the next community so we can eventually work ourselves into a national model which is our three to five year plan Um, but six months from now we are going to be having our garden to grocery program being another arm of our food distribution channels um, and really closing that gap but from having our pocket gardens and our food distribution on these two channels and now really filling that last gap of, of getting the food from our gardens to the local grocers and food deserts, launching farmers market stands in, our, um, in the communities that we have our gardens in as well.
0: Do you have any specific stories that you could share of those that you've seen that, hey, how you've impacted lives in some of these communities or what these gardens mean? Um, like on the daily, for sure. <laughs> it's... Uh,
1: Yeah, it's very powerful. Um, You know, I I think for me, it's it's the kids. I mean, I just, they're my favorite part. Um, I don't have kids as I say, I have my own kids. I've got like 400 of them in every neighborhood we're in. So um, for me, I think it's the visceral experience of seeing a kid plant a green bean for the first time, hand them a tomato plant for the first time, putting it in the ground. And there's no uh, lag time in the connection, right? They're like, oh, that's a tomato growing. Here's one I planted. Well, I want to, I take ownership of that now. And it, There's just this immediate connection to your food, an immediate pride that um, that you feel in that child and an immediate lifelong connection to your body, to what's good for you. We're not talking about like, you know, we're not going really deep into the uh, anatomic nutrition program. We're talking about real versus processed food and kind of simple things that people are not given the access and, and, and provided that information around um, and instead are kind of peddled things that are profitable and cheap and readily available. And so just shifting that, that narrative and being able to be that opportunity for, for kids and knowing that we have had a place in so many of their lives. Our kids have grown up in the gardens. Like they used to use the little kid gloves and now they use the teenage gloves and now they teach the other kids at a farm. Um, so, so it's just incredible. Every time you see I mean, someone come to pick up their regular collard greens on a Tuesday because they know they're ready to go, Mm-hmm. Like garden days are are the best days. The days I can be out on the farm um, are the most special. Mm-hmm.
0: What do you think is the solution to this problem of food justice and eradicating food deserts?
1: I think, again, it's that mindset shift.
0: We have sort of
1: been duped into thinking that we can't grow our own food and we have to rely on people thousands of miles away. Or we don't have, you know, the right space, the right growing materials. We just It's just too complicated. Um, and that's across all spectrums. I mean, I have my tomato garden on my balcony, and I'm always trying to encourage people to grow your own. We've got at-home grow kits that we're actually mm-hmm. launching um, later on this year. There's lots of exciting stuff going on. Um, but I think it's, it's truly a mindset shift to starting to think about where your food comes from, Valuing your health and wellness enough to know that you have the right to grow your own food, to have access to healthy food um, and that it's absolutely possible to grow our own and to sort of break this cycle of being so disconnected from where our food comes from. We're so connected on our phones, twenty four seven technology is nothing we can't access. So how are we how are we still able to be so disconnected from our food and what we're putting in and and on our bodies? So across the board, I think it's it's a mindset shift and a sense of ownership. That we need to adopt
0: obviously you had access to information you had the og you had you know your <laughs> family and those around you great education is there something that you've learned that you didn't know since you started health in the hood
1: i thought i knew how great right the need was but you never really know until you're really in it um And I feel like even in in eight years of running and operating these programs really successfully and expanding, we're still just a a drop in the bucket. There are 326 food deserts in South Florida. So, you know, feeling like we're constantly in a rat race to do more. You know, I thought, I guess I probably thought in the beginning, this is going to feel so good. And it does. I sleep like a rock. It is the most rewarding work Mm -hmm. to get to do. Um, But there's so much more. So the problem is sprawling, but... The solution is simple.
0: I'm sure you have more than one, but is there one or two tips that like you like to share that you feel like are just so key for all of us? Yeah, I would
1: say, um, well, my my one is always eat fresh, eat local, so eat as close as you can, get to wherever you are. That's the best thing you wanna uh, put in your body. If it came out of your backyard, that is the best thing to put in your body. Um, And I think the most important wellness tip is is taking care of yourself. Um, From the food you eat to what you put on your body, it really starts with an intention to care for yourself because if you take care of yourself, you can take care of others. Um, And I think that you vibrate that throughout the world and it's just a reiteration of that vibration and that's a really powerful thing. So if we take care of ourselves, we're just better serving the planet and the universe.
0: Do you have any specific tips on how to take care of ourselves? Because I'm sure as a, you know, nonprofit founder CEO, I know you are busy. Um, And I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this podcast, myself included, who I just am not always good at this. And that was another thing that interested me in kind of seeing your Stories and your space for self care and taking care of yeah. yourself. So, how do you balance that and manage that, incorporate that into your life? Yeah, I, you know, still figuring it out, but. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> always, always a journey. It's sure. always a work in progress.
1: <laughs> Definitely. But I think it's it's starting to like intuitively listen to yourself and knowing what your body or your mind or your soul needs at that given moment. Um, and so sometimes you need to dive into work and just pound stuff out and get your deadlines done. And sometimes you need to tear yourself away from that. And sometimes you need to prioritize movement. For some people, it's meditation. For some people, it's and movement looks like a million different things. It could be dancing. It could be shaking. It could be Pilates. It's, it's whatever movement I think is intuitively feels good for you. Um, I think that's a really important one for sure. I am the fit farmer, so I would always <laughs> an advocate for for moving in whatever ways feel good. Um, but yeah, but it's intuitively kind of listening to and 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 checking in with yourself more and I think going internal um, to connect with yourself and listening to what what you need. So for me, it's definitely Epsom salt baths, movement, meditation, eating mindfully. those are the things that that if I go back to, those are always in my toolkit.
0: Absolutely. I love that. So obviously you're doing such great work, much needed work. And if people want to support you, which they absolutely should, and help them in the hood, how can they do that? Absolutely. So that is just
1: an amazing way to help us get more support. So I think one of the ways is absolutely here storytelling, so sharing our story, talking about what we're doing. Um, and then of course, every dollar that supports our work is getting healthy food into people's hands, whether it's at our food distribution um we are feeding a thousand people a week from our pull-up pantry we do 500 contactless uh grocery boxes and people's chunks we deliver 500 prepared meals to veterans seniors adults with developmental disabilities that's just one of our programs we're feeding folks in our urban farms so every dollar goes to supporting those programs our incredible team on the ground that makes that happen the residents that we hire and the best way to do that is to go to our website, www.helpinthehood.org. There is a pretty easy donate button. I think we've got it pretty big on the top, so you can click <laughs> through that. Um, and every dollar helps. So it would just be an amazing way to help us keep growing for sure and sharing awesome. our story, of course.
0: And I'll make sure to link to all of that below in the show notes as well as your social channels. How can people find you Yay, online? Amazing. So we are at Health in the Hood. Uh, and I am at The Fit Farmer,
1: Asha Walker. Um, And we are pretty active on both channels, so you can kind of get a sense of
0: what's going on on any given day
1: in the gardens or what it takes to run everything behind the scenes.
0: Awesome. I love that. Is there anything else, Asha, that you wanted to say that I didn't ask you about?
1: Um, This was so thorough and thoughtful, and (laughs) it's just such a beautiful space. I love your platform, and we're just so honored for the opportunity to share a little bit about what we do and talk about this important topic um, that I think doesn't get spotlighted enough. So just so grateful for, for having me.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for the work that you do. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Asha Walker is a wealth of knowledge and I learned so much from her and I love again. I know I said it in the beginning, but what she has to say about food justice is social justice. Couldn't be more true. And even though she is making a dent in the food deserts here in South Florida, there are hundreds and we have a long way to go. So go ahead and connect with her. Learn more about Health in the Hood. All of that contact information is below in the show notes. And make sure you connect with me. I'm on LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places. But I really want to see you on YouTube. Hit subscribe, turn on notifications, connect with me on LinkedIn, and I'll see you back next week. Until then, stay happy, stay healthy.